Iranian dances are like a huge box full of different techniques and I realized that I love every single of them. I love the coquetry of Qajari dance, I love the lively, happy folkloric dances, I love the Sama and all the whirling and more spiritual dance and I of course love the neoclassical style. Welcome to Belly Dance Live podcast. My name is Jana Komarnitska. I'm a full-time dancer based in Toronto, performing a variety of Middle Eastern and Central Asian dance styles, including belly dance. You can find me at janadance.com as well as on Insta or Facebook by Jana Dance or Jana Komarnitska. I'm happy you've decided to join us for this weekly dose of dance inspiration because here on this podcast we explore all nuances and insights into lifestyle of ballet dancers and we are having amazing star guests who share their stories, secrets and tips with you. Hello guys, uh, welcome to Ballet Dance Live podcast and uh, today's episode I feel will be very different and very interesting because I think Feel will go far beyond just talking about belly dance <laughs> because on today's show I have amazing Alexandra Kilchevska, also known as Apsara, a dancer choreographer as well as alternative model based in Poland and uh, she was one of the first who specialized in Poland in the dances of the Silk Road, such as Persian, Afghan, Caucasian, Indian, and Central Asian. And she is uh, focusing on developing two personal dance styles. One of these is a mixture of Central Asian dances with North Indian, inspired by the atmosphere of medieval court of the great Moguls, as well as Sufism. And the second one is a fusion of tribal ballet dance and uh, South Indian classical dances, inspired by Hindu concept of Devi or goddesses and other elements of classical Indian thought. So I'm very excited about a very unusual and interesting conversation today and welcome to the show. Hello everyone, I'm so glad I can be in the show and that I can share some information and experience with you. Thank you. So to start our conversation, can you please tell us how did dance become a part of your life? That's a funny, maybe not funny, but like a, a little long story, but... If I want to make it short, everything started when I was 14 years old and my grandparents took me on a trip to Turkey. In Turkey, uh, we went for some evening show, like a typical evening show for tourists uh, with some food and, and, and actually dancers. There was a group of uh, folkloric dancers and a belly dancer. And I was absolutely enchanted by their performance. And I thought to myself, okay, I definitely have to learn it. So when I came back home, a 14-year-old me signed up for belly dancing classes. And I started going for classes. By that time, belly dancing was not very well de developed in Poland. So we, in the classes, we mainly had like a dancing to pop music, but not a very deep study of, of uh, belly dance. But in the meantime, I was um, searching for different videos in the internet. It was before the YouTube era. So I was using some, I don't know, applications like 
Emul, torrents, and everything to to just try to download any kind of video I could find on belly dancing. And uh, one of the videos that uh, got downloaded was actually labeled belly dance, but it was not belly dance. It was seen from a Bollywood movie with uh, dancers dancing to to a song. I remember that was a Nimboda song, and. Um, I saw this and I was like, oh my god, I love it. So I I was lucky that uh, in Warsaw we already had a dance teacher who would teach Indian dances. So I, so I signed up for uh, Bollywood dance class. And soon I also started learning Bharatanatyam dance. Uh, it's the cla- one of the classical Indian dances. And for a couple of years I completely fell in love with Indian dances. I was studying uh, studying them. I was trying to get any possible workshops, any possible any possible chances to get familiar with uh, with any any styles. So I tried I tried Manipuri dance, I tried Kuchipuri dance, Mohiniyattam. I was studying Odissi as well for a while. And of course Kathak and that that was the time when i was when i also started performing i started choreographing but uh, i always believed that dance does not exist without its culture so i was also reading a lot about indian culture and in general eastern cultures and uh, in one of the books i read that north medieval north indian culture uh, was uh, highly influenced by Persian culture. So I thought, okay, so time to educate myself about Persian culture. So I started le- reading about that. And I thought, okay, why not typing in YouTube keyword Persian dance? So I did it. I saw the first video of Persian dance, which was, uh, I remember very well, one of the performances of one of my teachers, Miriam Peretz. And I was like, okay, this is definitely my aesthetic. I I must learn it, and that's what I want to do. But the problem was there was nobody to teach it in Poland. So I was I was um, close to my to passing my A levels. I actually had plans for going to university, studying uh, Indian studies. But I, I fell in love so much with. Iranian culture and the dance that I decided that I'm changing my idea for future. I'm not studying Indian studies. I'm going to study Iranian studies at the university. So after passing my uh, A-levels, or I guess that's A-levels, we call it matura in in in, uh, in Poland. It's like an exam you pass after, after finishing high school. Uh, after passing that, I went for my first uh, international trip to learn Persian dance. I went to Prague in Czech Republic because that it was the closest place I could go. And I attended some workshops with uh, some teachers and as well as to private classes from a teacher that was teaching there. And that was my first contact with Persian dance. After that, one, one year has passed. I started studying Persian studies. I, I started learning to speak Persian language as well. And after one year, the, the next holidays... I decided I want to go to to the United States and get uh, private classes from the teachers I saw in the internet that I that, that let's say the stars of the of the dance. So I went for one month to San Francisco. I took private classes from uh, Shahrzad Khorsandi, from Miriam Peretz, from Farima Berenji. I tried to attend there as many workshops as possible. 
So that was my very base for my Persian dance technique. And that was like a breaking point in my life and my, let's say, dance career. Uh, and I brought I brought the dance to Poland and I started performing it. It, it's, was very, it was actually very difficult to advertise this dance because we don't really have a lot of Iranian immigrants in Poland. I don't really get chance like in other European countries like Sweden, Germany or France where you get, I don't know, all the time Iranian weddings to dance at or some Iranian cultural events and so on. I just didn't have it. So I was just trying to get any possible events, mainly more multicultural events to perform at. And for a couple of years, I was like not getting a lot of attentions, attention from the public. I was every year going for different uh, places, different private classes uh, workshops. I also extended my my education with uh, Central Asian dances like Uzbek, Tajik, Uyghur. I found a teacher in uh, he was staying by that time in in Holland. Teacher from Uzbekistan, and well, I was also studying and learning the language, learning about the culture, somehow soaking into the culture. And finally, one of the one of my friends who uh, was starting a dance school, uh, she gave some proposal to me to join the school, teach some workshops, and those workshops were quite successful. So she uh, invited me to teach regular class. So I started teaching in the in the dance school. Um, by that time, it was called uh, Sagat. It was. Uh, the best uh, oriental dance uh, school in Warsaw because it, it was mainly focused on uh, belly dance, tribal fusion, and ATS. Uh, well, there was this one one group of Persian dance that I was teaching there. Then the school changed its name to Hamsa because the the, the owner also changed. Uh, also, one of my friends is right now uh, the owner. And my my group slowly started getting like students that would attend all the workshops that I would teach and all the all the classes, all the possible choreographies and everything. So slowly, slowly, we started forming a dance ensemble. And also, I I started getting a little bit more uh, recognized in in Poland in the dance scene. Also, thanks to social media. Another breaking point uh, in my let's say um, dance career was uh, when I met uh, Mojgon Maruli, uh, who, is a, who is a director. Uh, he's actress and director. She's currently living uh, in Poland, in Warsaw. And we started an amateur theater group. Uh, we started with like a, all, all of us uh, except one actress were uh, amateurs. And we, were, we just decided to stage a play based on uh, Nezomi Gyanjavi's uh, Shirin Khosro, as a tale of Shirin and Khosro. And we started from a small performance that was not very great, but the best thing we could do with, let's say, our acting skills. But then we decided to give it some changes. And that happened more or less right before my last trip to Iran. I had a great pleasure to study from Farzane Kabuli, who, who was uh, the star of Sozmone Rachsemelie Iran, which was the uh, state national uh, folkloric dance ensemble. 
I had private classes uh, from her, which had another like great impact on my on my dance style, and also and also some folkloric dances uh, classes from Ali Barotti. And with uh, richer with the knowledge of what I've learned in last last time in uh, Tehran, I came back and we started w- working on a new version of Shirin because uh, we got invited to uh, Iranian theater festival in Heidelberg in Ger- Germany. So we decided that we want to make this performance better. And apparently the performance got completely different and uh, it became less pantomime, more dance, because the, the whole theater is a theater without words. It's all, it's all about the movement, it's all about the gesture, the, the dance. A little bit uh, related to the concept of Harakote Mozum, which is uh, the, translated as rhythmic movements, which is a, a current, uh, let's say, performing trend in Iran. Because we all know that uh, since, the, since the revolution in uh, 1978, I believe, the dance, public dance of women is forbidden in Iran. But um, there is a new method of making performances that for us Westerners, it somehow looks like dance, but it meets the Islamic standards of uh, purity and chastity of, of women, which is very like simpler movement, gestures, but doesn't have all, all that flirtous uh, bodily kind of feeling of uh, the traditional solo improvisation of uh, Iran or Iranian dance. So uh, we are using a little bit that concept in, in the play. And our play got extremely successful in in Festival of Heidelberg. We were all actually surprised because, after all, we are all amateurs. I mean, amateurs in acting, except for one actress. And, well, one one other actor that that joined us uh, that time, who who is a musician as well. Uh, And, well, I'm a dancer and choreographer. I'm not not actress myself either. But it met uh, with a great uh, applause and a lot of positive comments and we were actually invited to a festival in London, another Iranian theatre festival in London that uh, just happened around two weeks ago and actually the the situation was that the all the inquiries for the festival were already closed, the whole program was, already, was ready but uh, someone recommended us in the festival and they were so persuasive that they were saying that oh my god this 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 performance is so good that you must include it in the in the festival so they actually changed their schedule a bit to include include our uh, performance as well so we went to london we made our uh, show even better we added some changes we added my students as well my dance students so we didn't only have uh, actors but also dancers on the stage dance scenes were richer and we actually got the second place in the festival. So, um, among 11, 11 theatrical plays, we've got the second place. So, yeah, so this is, this is uh, more or less my dance experience. And other than Iranian and Central Asian dances, I'm a I'm choreography student. Currently, I'm third-year choreography student. So you actually got, uh, caught me between writing one and another page of my uh, thesis. Now my bachelor's thesis, 
And right now I'm preparing uh, my final performance for the for the university, which is going to be a fitting. 15 minutes ethno-contemporary choreography based mainly on, mainly on Persian dance, but it's like a fusion of Persian and modern dance with uh, live music. We, uh, with actually, my boyfriend is a deaf player, so he's playing music for us, and we'll, I, I will dance with, uh, with, my, with around nine other people on the stage. Wow. <laughs> well, definitely congratulations on the success of your theatrical production. For sure, I saw a notice about it on social media. That's how I actually connected uh, um, with you. Like I saw that you were doing Persian dance that I'm also very interested in. And uh, then I was uh, discovering more and more of your activities and found out like you do a lot more in trying to, co to combine traditional dance forms with uh, some... I don't know how to describe it exactly, but let's say fusion of fantasy elements like, to create uh, some unique uh, dance vocabulary there. But in what you said, I had so many questions. So <laughs> I want to come back a little bit, a little bit um, before. Uh, you mentioned that when you first time saw Persian dance video, uh, you felt like its aesthetic is is yours like it's uh, close to you and you liked it and you decided you want to go and study more what specifically caught your attention what is different about persian dance that made you feel like oh i want to to dance it to study it um it's a difficult question uh well for sure it's about its light light and fluid movement and big focus on arms i was actually trying to trace back to i don't know my my early experiences with art or anything why why am i exactly attracted to persian dance because i couldn't even describe it for myself i couldn't even find find it out myself i was just enchanted by this dance and didn't know why <laughs> and actually that's that's a f funny funny thing because like i don't know 2 years ago i i was rewatching re different Uh, cartoons from my childhood, from Disney movies to different series and something. And I realized that when I was a kid, I used to love superhero cartoons like the X-Men, I don't know, all these kind of characters. And the, the female characters of, the, of those uh, cartoons, they would always have like dramatic arm gestures when they were using their superpowers. And as a small kid, as a small kid I was... I was always hoping that, oh, maybe someday my superpowers will manifest as well. <laughs> and I realized that a lot of a lot of art gestures, movements and things like that in Persian dance actually look very similar to the gestures of the superheroes from from cartoons I watched uh, as a, I don't know, eight or nine year old. So I I know that those those times they actually influenced a lot my my imagination because I I used to always be a very creative kid either I was either either writing stories or listening to music and imagining video clips how could we make a video clip with the music and I guess that somehow went like that somehow influenced my my aesthetics and my idea on what kind of dances do I like But also the, the thing that I love about Persian dance is, uh, well, the first thing that drawn me to, the, to that dance is exactly its fluidity, its very princess-like atmosphere, very, like, 
femininity, but a different kind of femininity than uh, what I experienced from belly dancing or Indian the subtle kind of girly femininity, I would call it. Girly femininity instead of uh, the uh, sensual femininity, mm -hmm. which uh, I, I connect more, uh, my personality, my character connects more with, with the girly femininity. Because first I, I discovered that uh, what I call neoclassical Persian dance, that it's like commonly called classical dance, uh, classical Persian dance. But after studying in, uh, during studying in San Francisco, I, I realized that actually there is a huge variety of uh, Iranian dances, not only among the solo improvised dance, but also the, the folkloric dances, the, the ritualistic dances, the dances of, of different historical period. And I'm not only talking about uh, about the, I don't know, Safavi times, Qajar times, and so on. But also, if you, if you look, if you actually look at the 20th century and the tendencies of uh, dance in, in different decades of 20th century in Iran, if you look at the old videos, actually you can see that there were a little different aesthetics for, I don't know, 1970s, 1980s, 1990s, I mean, 1990s, uh, outside of Iran, of course, but Iranian dances are like a huge box full of different techniques and I I realized that I love every single of them. I love the coquetry of uh, Qajari dance. I love the lively, happy folkloric dances. I love the Sama and all the whirling and more spiritual dance. I love and I of course love the neoclassical style, which gives a lot of freedom for including your own elements, your own movements, your own um, ideas within the frame of Persian aesthetics. So the thing that I love about Iranian dance is that uh, depending on my mood, I can either um, do folkloric dance if I'm like if I have a very highly energetic mood and I want to just express my joy or I can connect with the audience by this Qajar Kereshme coquetry or I can become a beautiful princess on the huge stage dancing the neoclassical style. Well, I can only add uh, for something you said before about superpowers, that dance is definitely a superpower. <laughs> so it did manifest it <laughs> in oh, yes, your life yes. in all its beauty. <laughs> and uh, regarding the Persian stars, because I, I know... I am dancing Persian style, so I definitely understand what you're talking about. But I'm sure a lot of our listeners, for them, a, a world of Persian dance is completely new one. So they keep hearing from you like now all these names and, and styles. And usually in people's mind, it's like, oh, there is more than just one Persian dance style. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, can we sort of walk through, like not like to give the full lecture, but just to map a little bit more of what kind of Persian dance exists and just give like one or two features for people just to encourage them to maybe sit down after listening to this episode and research and, and Google like at least some of the things so, so that people have some map or direction where to look for more information. Yes, uh, it's not actually easy thing to do because every teacher has different ideas how to divide Persian dance. Some of the some of the teachers say there's just one Persian dance and 
Persian dance and uh, folkloric styles. There are other people's the people that say we have, for example, the miniature style and the Qajar style. Or in Iran, they usually uh, divide it to Rakhsemeli, which is the national dance, uh, Rakhse folkloric, which is the or, or, or Rakhse Mahali, which is the the regional folkloric dances, and um, and Samo, which is the the spiritual dance. Uh, I'm a kind of person that I'm well obsessed with information. I always like dig, 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 dig until I find all the information that I can. And I like to put uh, every piece of in- information in a little drawer to make some sense in the in the information. So I like I like dividing everything a lot. Well, I distinguish uh, first first of all the neoclassical dance which is uh, also called the cl- Persian classical dance, which is, the, I guess, the most famous and most fashionable style right now that everyone sees, especially in the West, which is the, the highly influenced by ballet and uh, contemporary dance um, style. You can, you can see it. I guess the, the, the best example of that style is the Ballet Afsone uh, dance group from San Francisco. So this is the princess-like style. This is this beautiful, most developed uh, style. Uh, and for I, I, there is this uh, discussion between some people that say this is the classical dance, or people like me that prefer the term neoclassical. Uh, but that's the thing that is the most uh, famous, especially in the West. And it uh, it started more or less in like. 19, I believe 1960s, 1970s in Iran, when the uh, national dance group started performing on the stage. This style was developed because of the request of uh, the Pahlavi kings. Uh, they wanted to have uh, the national style that would be uh, different and not related to the cabaret dance. Because cabaret dance in Iran was considered something very vulgar and very unchaste and not uh, worthy of a, of a country of a, of representing the country so they wanted to develop the um, the style that could div- could be presented as the national style of of Iranian dance uh, a little similar similar uh, process like uh, in some of the some of the countries of uh, ex soviet union uh, there, there were also some of the countries had artificially developed dances just just so that they can have a dance to represent their country so similar similar uh, thing happened in Iran it was it was developed based on ballet uh, by some contemporary dance and uh, and the movements the folkloric movements and the vernacular movements of Iranian people which created created a beautiful beautiful fusion and then after the revolution, the, some of the dancers moved out of the country, started teaching this style to Western dancer, dancers, and Western dancers uh, further developed the style to the form that we are seeing today. So you can say that the, um, the neoclassical dance is something that depends highly on the taste and style, personal style of each dancer. We don't have it codified. We don't have one neoclassical style. It's just like a in invention of every every dancer. Then we have uh, the Kereshme style, or uh, known also as Qajar dance, or Qajar uh, with with uh, that's the English pronunciation. 
this is the reconstruction of uh, dance that was danced in Qajar court, uh, which was the dynasty right before the, the last one, the, the Pahlavis uh, dynasty. Uh, I believe it was um, the end of the 18th century until the beginning of 20th century. And that was uh, a style of uh, mainly based on the Iranian social dance, Iranian solo improvisation, uh, done in um, court of Qajar uh, kings. Also, also uh, danced by uh, Motrep uh, groups. Motrep were, were um, the artistic groups that were uh, not only dancers, but also musicians, actors, uh, all in one, basically performing, uh, performing in the in the Qajar times. So uh, the Qajar dance uh, later on uh, tra uh, transferred into the cabaret dance of, of in Iran, while the core dancers and motrebs basically lost their jobs and needed uh, needed to find their place in the rapidly changing. Um, Iranian society. Well, Motrep, Motrep performances is like a huge topic for, I, I believe, another big book to write about. But their performances are, and their style of dancing is way more similar to actually traditional and uh, natural way Iranian people move, especially Iranian women. They have this Kerek uh, Yamari movement, which is the rotation of, of hips, which is absolutely absent in the neoclassical dance because um, it's it was considered a very sexualized movement so they they removed it uh, from the dance when they when they wanted to put it on the big stage uh, more wrist rotations and and uh, exactly this flirtatious uh, gestures flirtatious facial expressions called eshve mm -hmm. all the coquetry that that was the kajar dance the dancers sometimes used acrobatics as well. It's less performed uh, in the West right now. Uh, it's less popular, but uh, sometimes you can see it. It's, it has a very characteristic costume and a lot of staccato movements and some of the panto pantomime as well, like pantomime of putting makeup on, pantomime of uh, some of the adorning yourself with jewelry or, I don't know, gathering uh, fruits in the garden, playing instruments, this kind of uh, pantomime. Then we have folkloric dances. Folkloric dances, there are lots of different, different folkloric dances in Iran from different parts of Iran, and they can be very often um, completely different from each other. The, the dance, uh, like, for example, Bandari dance from the south will be completely different from Kosema body dance from the north of Iran, and the, those dances they represent uh, represent different uh, nations or ethnic groups or original groups uh, in Iran. To name a few dances, we have Kurdish dance, which is a line dance that has like similarities with uh, Dabke and Halai. We have Azeri dance, which is like a, which is very close to Iranian neoclassical dance, and actually it influenced Iranian neoclassical dance as well. And it belongs to the group of Caucasian dances. So it's this, it has this floaty, floating queen-like dancer, uh, very proud and beautiful on the stage. Then we have, uh, for example, Bandari dance, or actually Bandari dances. 
the bandar in Persian means, um, as far as I remember, the, the port or the, the, the harbor. And there are various different dances from, from, uh, from south of Iran. We have Bushehri dances, we have uh, Shushtari dances, we have, uh, uh, we have Bandare Abbas dances. So, but they are all characterized by uh, more exaggerated hip movements, shoulder shimmies, wrist shimmies. They are a little bit influenced by African dances because um, there was a time that uh, African slaves were imported to the south of Iran and also Arabic dances because in south Iran there are lots of uh, Arabs living as well. And uh, it has in, in general a little bit feeling of the uh, Khaliji dances and all the Persian Gulf uh, atmosphere. However, I, I, what I always have to mention is watch out when you're when you're typing Bandari dance on YouTube because you can find a lot of horrible videos. I'm sorry to say that I try not to criticize usually people online, but there that is just my soul of dance ethnologist cries when one sees that. Uh, you can uh, find some videos on YouTube, particular, particularly from the belly dance contests of Eastern Europe, where they uh, do really bad, thing, bad things to Bandari dance. They mix it up with Iraqi dances, they mix it up with uh, Azeri, um, Azer, Azeri-led movements, they mix it up with Kurdish dance. It's, um, if anyone wants to find good Bandari dance videos, maybe try to contact me, I can, I can guide you so that you wouldn't uh, find information from, from bad source. Uh, okay, leaving Bandari, we also have uh, dances from the north of Iran, from the uh, Caspian Sea, which is called Shomol in Persian. We have Kosemobodi or Gilaki, which is the, the dance from Gilan. And we have Mazanderani from Mazanderan. Uh, those dances are characterized by uh, pantomimic movements that are related to harvesting either rice, mainly in Gilaki dance, or um, wheat, uh, which is Mazanderani dance. And those movements, they are um, th these these dances. They have a lot of similar movements to what you will find in uh, Qajar dance. More hip movements, but not not as uh, let's say shaking and similar to uh, belly dance as uh, as Bandari dance. But it certainly has hip movements, shoulder uh, isolations, and and the pantomimic movements. This this dance is characterized by very wide skirts adorned with ribbons on the bottom. We also have uh, Bojnudi dance and in general dances of the, uh, of the east of Iran, of Khorasan, of Baluchistan. This, uh, there are several dances. For example, uh, that um, Bojnudi, which is uh, the dance of Kormanj uh, Kurds, uh, which is characterized by fast triplet steps and uh, the Beshkian, Beshkan is Persian, Persian snapping, a very characteristic move that you can find in Iranian dance. Other than that, we have, for example, Torbatejom, which is, uh, Torbatejom uh, is uh, one village in uh, eastern uh, Iran, which is mainly a male dance, and uh, originally it was a war dance, the, the dance were, uh, which was danced by men before they wanted to attend the battle. 
and it has uh, movements. It's a very macho and masculine uh, dance, and it also has chop bozi, which is which means the the playing with the with the sticks. So it has movements of uh, of uh, hitting two sticks together, a little bit similar to Indian uh, dandiya. If anyone is fo- uh, familiar with dandiya, which is from Western India from Gujarat. So it has a little bit of movement of uh, playing with sticks. The, the dancers hit hit each other's sticks with uh, some battle-like movements. Then we have Baluchi dances. Baluchistan is like a big region in that, that is uh, divided between Iran, Afghanistan and uh, Pakistan. And uh, Baluchi dances... They have they they are ex- exactly um, connecting elements from South Asia, from Afghanistan, and from Iran in their kind of movements. It has a little bit of feeling like Bandari dance and a little bit of this African loose body body posture, but it also has some um, arm gestures that are similar to Indian dances or South, in general South Asian dances that, for example, resemble uh, hitting bracelets. They have, uh, they have those, they use those bracelets uh, to mark the rhythm. However, the bracelet dance that you might find a lot in the internet, uh, in the form that is being performed these days on, on the stages, is a very... A uh, fiat, fiat uh version of that dance. The Baluchis they usually have very simple movements of wrist, but it was developed by the National Dance Ensemble of Iran to a to a dance that is all about all about different movements with uh, with bracelets. That's not completely original, but uh, more like a fantasy. But you will definitely find this kind of movements in Baluchi dance. Then there are lots of then there is the Leva dance of uh, of Baluchi people. Leva is like a part of uh, Guati rituals. It's like a trans, trans ritual that is similar to Middle Eastern uh, Zar ritual. And uh, in Guati ritual, one of the parts is the Leva. And the Leva dance became, uh, especially in Pakistan, but in the whole region, uh, it's, it's popular, became some sort of a pop dance, just like, just like similar like Bandari. Bandari usually uh, used to have more uh, more of a Zar ritual kind of feeling, but it became the, the pop dance of uh, Iran. But uh, Leva became the pop dance of Baluchis. It's, it's like a very uh, rhythmic, very happy, jumpy music with uh, very characteristic wrist work and very characteristic pulse in the body. And then we have uh, Chap dance, which is the, the clappy. Chap means uh, to clap. It's like a clapping hand dance, uh, which is usually done in circle. Uh, Baluchis have a lot of a lot of different uh, different traditional dances. So again, the dances of Baluchistan are an interesting topic for another, at least big article. I don't know field research and stuff like this. Uh, oh, and among Iranian dances, we also have the Kashgoyi, or in general the 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 group of what I call the scarf uh, scarf dance group. So we have uh, Kashgoyi, Bakhtiori and Lori performing quite similar uh, dance, kind of dance, usually differing mainly in the in the details. And that's a that's like kind of uh, kind of circle dance performed with two with two scarves or handkerchiefs in, in hands. 
And the, the, dancer, the dancers usually have quite simple feet pattern, but they play with, with the scarves and dance in the circle, especially the half decimal uh, dance, which is the, it translates as uh, seven scarf dance. Uh, which is performed during the Nowruz or Persian New Year uh, celebrations. So I guess that would be that's it about the the main uh, main folkloric dances of Iran. Uh, of, obviously, there's a lot more. Like I would say, each each and every village has their own version of folkloric dance, and some of the regions have dances that are, for example, less famous because they were maybe not staged a lot, not well researched, but Iran is a great place for dance ethnologists, I would say. And from other styles that you can see uh, being performed, labeled Persian dance, you can find something what I call Persian pop dance or uh, majlesi, which is uh, a little bit more well-developed social dance that originally comes from from the solo improvised dance. And it has more or less similar movements like the Qajar dance, this is the dance that that uh, came out from cabarets, and it's like a very simple, happy, jumpish uh, dance done usually with uh, with the six eight rhythm, and that's what you can see in all the I don't know performances of Iranian students here and there on the stage. You, that's what you can see uh, being danced by Iranians in the part in the parties. And that's usually what, um, if you pay if you pay attention in the internet, that's usually what uh, Persian dance groups that are uh, made mainly of Iranian Iranian girls uh, perform. They usually perform this style style of dance instead of the neoclassical dance. However, very often it's again labeled as classical Persian classical dance. Okay, so, so that's the Persian pop, and I, I would say that that, that that style was changing in, in the time. You can see the different um, different tendencies in video clips from, for example, 1970s, video clips from 1980s, from 1990s, those video clips that were also produced in... Uh, in the West, mm-hmm. and uh, another thing that you can find is the Bobo Kiaram, uh, which is the urban folklore from Tehran, uh, which has uh, origin origin in the same uh, cabaret uh, cabaret community, which was danced mainly by Johel, which is a kind of bad boy uh, in Iranian culture. The, the people who would own, for example, uh, stores in, in, in the bazaar or, or members of mafia. There's this characteristic uh, stereotype of an Iranian wearing a fedora hat uh, with a heavy mustache and like, being very macho and so on. So the Baba Kiaram dance is the macho dance of a man showing how, how masculine he is, playing with his fedora hat, playing with his uh, coat. Uh, and very often it's uh, it's actually mimicked by women as well. So women somehow women perform it as well, making fun of uh, this hyper masculinity of 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 Johel men. So I guess that's um, could be enough for a basic uh, basic uh, diversion of Iranian dances. Of course, um, if it comes to Western Western dancers that uh, that do Persian dance, 
most of us usually not only dance dances of Iran, but we also dance uh, Afghan dances, which which are another huge box of different different techniques. We dance Uzbek dances, another another country full of different dance traditions, Tajik dances, or even Uyghur dances. So there are lots lots of more things to explore in the Silk Road. But if it comes to the to Iran itself, this is the basic dictionary of uh, Iranian dance. Wow, I feel like people's mind is just blown <laughs> away right now because there's so many uh, stereotypes like, oh, Persian dance is just this princess-like uh, performer on stage. And then suddenly it's like, I don't know, you. I think you named like about 15 or 20 or <laughs> at least 10 different, completely <laughs> different dance styles. So I really hope people will get interested to research and go deeper than just thinking, oh, Persian style is just one dance it's much beyond that as well and actually every every of those dances has history behind it has a culture behind it has costumes behind it has customs behind it has even language behind it music behind it so it's not just one just few movements it's like a whole fascinating word to explore and uh, i'm really also glad that you mentioned about bandari dance because i think this is the closest one <laughs> to ballet dancers because it became part of ballet dance competitions and uh, one of the things i was actually about to ask but then you continued to answer it like more about bandari dance and uh, that then you were describing the group of bandari dances you mentioned that feature characteristics is hip movements shoulder shimmies but you didn't name hair movements as a feature characteristic of this dance and that's something i wanted to also bring attention that traditional boundary dance can be even performed with covered head so you by definition can't really use hair in those scenarios but uh, uh where is this uh, I don't know, line of uh, use of the head hair, because I saw some Persian dancers using it a little bit. So it does exist somewhere, but where is the line and what we see on internet today? What, how to sort of make sure that, okay, you can add some show elements if you want, but you still stay in traditional to the style and not mixing it with Iraqi, which is completely different and has nothing in common with Bandari dance. Uh, well, it's, I might not be the right person to decide what what is uh, what is exactly what is exactly authentic, what is exact what is not authentic, because I believe I'm still learning as well. But what I've noticed is that okay, there are some little uh, hair movements in Bandari dance, but the origin of the hair movements is the Zar ritual. So the the to hair tossing and everything is the kind of thing that happens when people want to put themselves in a trance that um, leads them to some sort of catharsis because yeah rapid rapid hair movement rapid head movements they actually do put people in some trance like state and you can find uh, hair movement in in all over the all over iran uh, also in sufi rituals in sama some kinds of sama and also in mourning dances, like when the when we especially women when they mourn, they start moving uh, moving their head, and sometimes it involves as well tossing the hair. But in Iran, in Bandari, it's mainly mainly related to zar ritual or mourning dances. Mm -hmm. However, we have something that I call uh, Bandari Los Angelesi, 
which is the pop-like style of Bandai dance that got developed in, I believe, 1980s or 1990s in Los Angeles in the diaspora communities of Iran, when Bandai music actually became the base for pop music. And most of the dances, uh, even done by Iranians using, using the hair, it's exactly in that kind of atmosphere. So a very jumpy electronic pop music, very happy and very light. And then you have dancers wearing just um, sparkly second second dresses, not exactly the very traditional dresses, with their hair hair free, and they they toss their hair hair a little bit. And I believe that's okay, and that's because that's like a pop show style. It's not labeled as a very traditional ethnic dance, mm -hmm. and um, it's okay to stage uh, the dance. It's okay to bring the dance to the stage. It's okay to make it to enhance it a, li a little bit to make it more attractive for the audience. But we we always have to be careful not to overdo it. The good examples of that kind of bandari you can see among, again, Iranian students from this and there performing in that, I don't know, university event because they are like natural Iranians showing some happy dance. Or a great example of the dance who... I believe, I, I think he is actually the creator of that trend. Uh, Mohammed Khordodion. He does this very like happy pop-like Bandari dance, which uh, keeps the quality of, of Iranian style of moving and keeps a great taste in, the, in his choreographies. Because, okay, they toss the hair, but it's not uh, falling down on the floor, bending over suddenly, just like, uh, I don't know, Iraqi Kaulia dance or something. That's the. I believe that that's this is the 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 good taste of Bandari dance. But in the traditional dances, if you actually search for uh, performances from Iranian performers, they all wear scarves on their heads, and it's more about more about shoulder shimmies. It's more more about uh, hip movements, or it's more about, for example, dancing a circle, a little bit of pantomime of of uh, works done with uh, related to fishing and so on rather than tossing the hair because the thing is that western people not always get the difference between sacred dances or ritualistic dances and the dances you perform to impress other people and the dances that both you can see it both in the whirling community like a lot of people whirl on the stage and i'm a little bit I try usually avoid avoid wielding on the stage when I know that there is a, for example, event that is all about uh, entertainment, because I don't like wielding to impress people when I know that it's something that for some people is sacred and it's supposed to put them in some specific state and it might, it might not be appropriate to perform a sacred uh, sacred dance between a shabby and a, I don't know Bollywood item song. But lots of lots of uh, Western dancers, they don't, and maybe I myself as well, not always understand that uh, that uh, difference. And my, I myself committed a lot of sins if it comes to uh, authentic uh, authenticity of dances or bringing the sacred dance to the wrong place in the beginnings of my of my dance. But I educated myself, and I'm starting, let's say, to somehow feel the feel the difference when the, this kind of dance is appropriate and when is it it's not but a lot of western dancers they have a tendency to borrow elements that they find impressive 
from dances that are in some way sacred, that in by those people wouldn't be performed on the stage, that are for their own uh, internal, let's say, meditation or cleansing, catharsis, or worshipping the divine. These are things that uh, we have to be very careful about borrowing and using on the stage, especially if we want to label it as uh, I don't know, traditional dance of that and that uh, community or that and that performance. Because, okay, I'm all all for fusion and I'm all for uh, doing impressive things on the stage, but do it with the research. So instead of just throwing all the elements that you find impressive, try to do a little bit of research and really think if you're not if you're not offending people of culture that you're trying to give a tribute to or if also you're not um, oppressing them because we also have the that problem that okay we are mainly white women uh, the, the the western dancers performing those dances we are mainly white women we don't understand the the struggle of the of the original people who created those dancers dances who performed those dances we very often do not understand the context of the dance just like just like we have a problem in belly dance community of uh, white dancers looking down at egyptian dancers that for example egyptian dancers use very revealing costumes or something like this while western dancers try to desexualize completely belly dancing it's like a whole huge another another uh, topic for for discussion so we as let's say white women or white people being guests in the in the culture of uh, other people we have to be very careful not to not to offend them especially that we're somehow because of our privilege lo- after all looking down at them so i believe that in all in all that situation we have to be very careful about picking the exact elements from the dance the exact motifs steps or what are we performing in what occasion or how in what kind of uh, how are we constructing the choreography how are we describing our dance and i for example strongly believe that we definitely if we're performing fusion or if we're using elements from different dances in one in one choreography we should certainly label it fusion and say okay i throw some of the elements from this dance and that dance it's my i don't know artistic idea instead of just naming i don't know Kaulia movements to Bandari, Bandari uh, music as Bandari dance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so true. Any performance, regardless of uh, culture or country of origin, it requires a lot of research. It's too easy to find, to put it like, oh, it's my creation or my uh, interpretation or my fusion. But then if you didn't do research, then it will show up in some way or another. To be able to interpret, you first need to understand what you inter- what you interpret. Exactly. So very nice point. Yeah. I kind of feel we'll need the part two of this <laughs> uh, exploration of Persian dance and the dances of Silk Road. I feel we can talk uh, hours and hours <laughs> uh, more about this because this is very intriguing, interesting topic and not uh, fully researched or discovered by well, in this case, specifically ballet dancers, but in general for everyone who is in love with Middle Eastern, Central Asian uh, 
uh, culture. So uh, thank you very much for taking us today on a tour across uh, uh, mainly Iran, but it's such a huge uh, culture, so many insights. So I'm very glad uh, we had the opportunity to connect and talk uh, a little bit about it. I have so many other topics and questions I would love to, <laughs> to get into, but I think we'll need at some point in the future to do part two <laughs> uh, to make it fresh. But anyway, thank you very much for your uh, time and your willingness to share your knowledge and experience with us. I really appreciate and I'm sure a lot of listeners will now reach out to you asking even more questions <laughs> and details about this style. So I wanted to ask, uh, before I ask our final uh, podcast question, where is the best uh, way for people to connect with you and to follow your dance activities, as well as is there any upcoming projects that you would like to announce or to share about with us today? Uh, I think the easiest, uh, first of all, thank you for having me here and for giving me the opportunity to share my my experience, my viewpoint, and uh, for patiently listening to my uh, lectures, because I'm usually not a very talkative person, but if it comes to the topic of Persian dance, I can talk for hours. We are ready to listen for hours. <laughs> <laughs> but if it comes to connecting with me, I guess the easiest way will be either my Instagram account or uh, my Facebook. I have, a, I have a fan page on Facebook. I have an Instagram account. I, if you if you search for uh, Apsara Afsanesara, I believe you can find me easily because I guess I'm the only person using that nickname. And other than that, I have a YouTube channel with dozens of videos. I guess among Persian dancers, I have the the, the biggest amount of videos uploaded on YouTube. So you can you check my works out there. If it comes to upcoming projects, well. The Shirin project will definitely grow more. We got invited to Edinburgh, Scotland. We also are uh, discussing with uh, some organizers. We got a proposal to go to United States, and uh, we might uh, next year we might we might make a little tour with our performance. Other than that, my my bachelor thesis performance, but. That will be just uh, one time performed in which city in, in Poland where, where I study. And other than that, I, I wanted to mention that I recently started another project with my boyfriend, who is a deaf player. Uh, we call it Chapol, which is, uh, which is uh, the wave in, in Kurdish language. And this is the project of... Uh, Life music and dance. He plays on on daf and doire. I dance, and it's uh, a big range of different uh, different kinds of performances, from traditional and folkloric dances, solo improvised dance, uh, Kurdish dance, uh, to some contemporary like contemporary fusion, and even samo. So you can you can follow us either on my on my Instagram account or you can ser- search. Arat Emam Kali, uh, which is his account, and will be will be announcing our uh, performances soon. So because we we already are getting interest from different different event organizers from around Europe. So once we are ready, 
I mean, once I'm done with my with all that uh, bachelor physics madness, <laughs> we will definitely start performing in different places. Well, good luck with uh, all your upcoming projects. Good luck with uh, university exams and study. Oh, thank you. I will need that. I will need that. <laughs> as well as uh, with your new project with your boyfriend as and your production, Shreen. Really excited. Hopefully, maybe I will even catch. Uh, Uh, we'll have opportunity to catch it in uh, US next year. I mean, it's it's not really neighborhood, but it's not that far from Toronto, <laughs> so maybe. <laughs> well, we can we can try to we can try to find some organizer organize, uh, organizers in Toronto as well. Once we cross the ocean, it's closer, right? <laughs> yeah. So hopefully we'll uh, have a opportunity to connect and meet in person soon. But anyway, good luck with it. Good luck with all your projects. I also will definitely. Definitely uh, put links to all your social media to the show notes. So for people, it's easier to connect uh, uh, with you and follow your dance activities. So you can just go to show notes and uh, find all links uh, to Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, all will be there. And uh, here's our final question. I always ask the same question to all podcast guests. Usually it's about ballet dance, but I will today rephrase it more about Silk Road dances because they are more related to you. And we partially already talked about it and you mentioned a lot about it, but I just want to, uh, let's say, uh, formulate this question with a very specific angle and then maybe something else and you will come to your mind. <laughs> so we'll see. So the question is basically, what makes you fall in love with Silk Road dances again and again so that you keep doing them for so many years? Hmm, that's a difficult question. It's just so addictive and such an uh, important part of my life that I just can't imagine not doing it. It's uh, the, the beauty, the, the, the aesthetic, the music, the movement, all the, the fact that it's still it's such a huge box full of information that you can all the time explore it and it's never enough that there's always something that you can discover there's always something that you can read about that you can learn about and and there's always a lot of a lot of uh, space to for for creative work so it's it's just uh, it's just so addictive addictive i'm addicted to to searching for new information and uh, it's like a unfinished source and the ability ability to express myself the ability to become some sort of a mediator between Poland and and the Silk Road that I can show the cultures uh, from the positive uh, point of view in the situation that especially in Poland they are shown in a very bad uh, bad way in media This this dance leads me to completely unusual situations in life. It lets me connect with amazing people, lets me discover a lot of beauty about the culture, about the music. So I, I wouldn't be able to give it up. Mm, that's beautiful summary. <laughs> been so addictive not to be able to give it up but i also uh, guess uh, dance is truly international language and yes really the tool that can connect across the borders despite all language barriers and all political or i don't know economical exactly whatever conflicts we may have in general in the political world but dance and art in general can always connect and relate us to each other that's beautiful yes Yes. Guys, 
Thank you so much for spending this time with us. And if you like this episode, it will mean a world to me if you take a few seconds and leave us a review on iTunes or share it with your friends. Also, you can always find more information about podcast as well as past episodes at yanadance.com slash podcast. As well as you can connect with me on social media by Yana Dance or Yana Komarnitska. I'm very active on Instagram as well as Facebook and share a lot of tips and inspiration for your daily ballet dance life. And by the way, don't forget to subscribe to podcast so you never miss a future episode. And until next time, keep shimming.